Hello, and welcome to Moving Markets by Julius Baer. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Good morning. My name is Bernadette Anderko, and I'm one of the investment writers at Julius Baer in Zurich. I'm going to provide an overview of the recent market activity. Overnight in the US, the S&P 500 index traded up 1.2%, with nine out of 11 sectors seeing a positive session. Outperformers were healthcare, consumer staples, technology, industrials, and financials. The Dow Jones was also up 1.3%, and the Nasdaq 100 rose 1.1%. Hong Kong and mainland shares swung in and out of positive territory overnight, with the biggest moves in the hard-hit technology sector. Hang Seng Tech was nearly 4% higher after losing more than 3% at the open. Mainland China's Shanghai Composite also reversed its direction to rise 0.74%, while the Shenzhen component added just over half a percent. Today's swings underscore investor nervousness following the nation's twice-a-decade Communist Party Congress, where Premier Xi loyalists dominated key posts. In the currency markets, the offshore yuan fell to the lowest level since trading began 12 years ago, as President Xi's power grab raised concern that concentrated decision-making might weaken growth and unsettle geopolitics. The decline extended after China's central bank set the official fixing rate for the currency at its lowest level in 14 years. The Japanese yen is trading at 148 spot 96 against the dollar. Japan's finance minister has again refused to comment on whether authorities are intervening in the currency market there. In Japanese equity markets, the Nikkei 225 added 1.21% and the topics climbed 1.25%. Manufacturing and services data for the US underwhelmed the markets, indicating Federal Reserve rate hikes are beginning to slow activity. In the bond markets, the yield on the 10-year treasuries declined four basis points to 4 spot 20%. Japan's 10-year yield was little changed at 0.26%. In the news, well, Rishi Sunak has won the race to become the UK's next Prime Minister. Both Liz Trust and Mr Sunak will meet with King Charles today to make the handover official. The markets now await not only Mr Sunak's plans for the UK economy, but also the lineup of his new cabinet. It's crucial for him to try and keep the Conservative Party together in order to fulfil his plans. As Mr Sunak himself said yesterday, it's time for the Tories to unite or die. A fifth of S&P 500 companies have now posted third quarter earnings, an announcement continuing full force this week. On the earnings front, we had UBS this morning announcing Q3 net income of 1.73 billion US dollars, beating analysts' estimates, but the investment banking division saw revenues down by 19%. HSBC Holdings PLC has also reported, posting better than estimated profits. Net interest income, a measure of key profitability, hit 8.6 billion US dollars, helping to lift adjusted pre-tax profit by 18% to 6.5 billion dollars. There's still a raft of firms to report this week. They include Apple, Microsoft, Ford, Credit Suisse, Alphabet, Amazon, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Samsung, Shell, Volkswagen, and many more. Finally, European markets look to be heading for a broadly positive open today, with the futures boards a sea of green. That's it for the markets wrap. Now, as the UK welcomes its new Prime Minister today, what better morning is there than to be joined by David Meyer from Macro and Next Generation Research, who's here to give us his take on what a Sunak government might now mean for the UK economy. Good morning, Bernadette, and welcome to everybody listening. So you mentioned it before, during the course of yesterday, it became clear that Rishi Sunak, the former chancellor, would become the next Conservative Party leader and prime minister. And this follows the events from the last weeks uh, that led to the resignation of Prime Minister Truss after only 45 days in office, the shortest tenure in history. So the damage done by the growth plan from the mini-budget 
So the announced tax cuts financed by debt that we had talked about quite frequently in the past weeks. This damage uh, that eroded financial markets trust in the UK's fiscal policy, it annoyed voters and it left Truss without support from her party. The damage was simply too large. Watering down the tax cuts and uh, replacing Chancellor Quarteng with Jeremy Hunt, who then called off most of the plan's measures, did not help Truss uh, to restore the backing from her party. So what will Sunak bring? Um, and this is the big question now, and it's not easy to answer. After all, uh, Sunak yesterday became prime minister without in fact saying much, as it seems like the Conservative Party was rushing to install a new PM. This given the damage that Truss left behind, uh, as the Conservatives are confronted with a huge loss of voter support and have fallen behind the Labour Party, and probably by all means want to avoid general elections anytime soon that they would most likely lose. So the task for Sunak is indeed huge. I mean, he has to restore confidence in the UK's fiscal policy. He has to battle soaring inflation and spur growth in a recessionary post-Brexit environment. He has to unite a party that is highly divided from Brexit and the Johnson era, and in the end win back voters with the next general elections uh, looming or that have to be held until January 2025. So his new government will surely be a lot more prudent than uh, Liz Truss's government, uh, given the now elevated sensitivity of financial markets on fiscal policy. And Sunak, uh, likely with Hunt as a chancellor, uh, was probably the best outcome for markets because um, it has the largest potential uh, to restore confidence. And this because Sunak had already more or less competently navigated through the coronavirus crisis as a chancellor. So in his past campaign, um, when he still lost to trust, uh, Sunak promised to expand direct support to households to mitigate the cost of living crisis and to cut the VAT on energy bills, but not to bank on uh, more risky tax cutting operations like trust had attempted to. But as said, I mean, the details are still to come. Anyways, we see the potential that Sunak uh, could further call markets, uh, which will keep the pound more stable going forward. So we revised our three months target to Euro uh, British pound 0.87. This translates uh, to a cable of 111. From the previous uh, 0.90 we had, uh, which considered lasting financial uncertainties under trust. We can hardly expect more for the pound now, uh, given the economic headwinds uh, from recession and high inflation and monetary policy uncertainty surrounding the Bank of England's continuation of its uh, policy normalization. And then also uh, keep in mind the political situation uh, remains rather unstable. As mentioned before, the challenges for Sunak are huge and the risk of a failure that could lead to uh, general elections is not small. Finally, uh, we think that more visibility on the fiscal plans will also be needed for markets to price out the risk premium on UK gilts. But uh, the chances of guilty yields uh, softening further going forward are clearly rising. So that's all from my side. Uh, back to you, Bernadette. Thanks, David. We've got a better idea of what to expect now, but that's uh, quite a list of tasks for Mr. Sunak. And now from Western to Eastern politics, in China, the 20th Party Congress has just concluded and announced its new Politburo Standing Committee. I'm pleased to hand over to Richard Tang, Head of Research in Hong Kong, to give us his take on what this might mean for the modernisation in China. Thank you, Bernadette, and good morning, everyone. So I think uh, there are three major takeaways from the conclusion of the Party Congress in China. Uh, the first one, 
that I would mention is that um, the newly formed standing committee comprises of mostly uh, President Xi Jinping's uh, uh, allies. Uh, they either are currently working with him or they worked with him before uh, in the early stage of Korea. So I think um, some of the more skeptical investors, mostly uh, foreign investors, generally express concern on the lack of diversity in the composition, uh, and they are aware and they, they are worried that there may be lack of checks and balances in the decision-making process. While the domestic Chinese investors generally see it in a positive uh, lens that it may lead to more efficient decision-making process, but uh, in any case, uh, I think uh, it's fair to expect that uh, any reforms uh, will be uh, bolder uh, and could be more similar to the ones that we observed in 2021. The second takeaway um, is that as we digest through the opening speech of President Xi Jinping uh, last uh, Sunday, uh, it reveals quite interesting insight uh, that um, President Xi Jinping talked a lot more politics and ideology and less about the economy. Uh, in fact, um, if you do a work count on the key terms uh, in the reports by President Xi Jinping uh, this year versus five years ago and compare the frequency, uh, you would probably notice that words like modernization, security, or people, basically those that are more related to ideology or politics in general, they have increased in frequency. But the counts in reform, economy, and market have fallen. So um, it looks apparent to us that the policy focus uh, probably uh, has more emphasis uh, on the politics side, which um, some of the foreign investors uh, may be concerned. And then the third takeaway is that um, Chinese modernization is a term that President Xi Jinping coined uh, in his opening speech. Uh, and he thinks that um, China should strive towards building the Chinese modernization in a country. And uh, he distinguished Chinese modernization from the Western modernization, which currently are dominated by capitalism. So we think that uh, common prosperity is going to be a key element of this Chinese modernization and will very likely be the guiding principle of any future reforms. And just to give you an example, uh, President Xi Jinping in particular has pledged to regulate the order of income distribution and the mechanism of wealth accumulation. So in view of this, uh, we think that more policies are likely to be unveiled in the coming years with the objective to narrowing the income inequality uh, in the country. Now, what, does that all, what do all these bring us to? In terms of the market, obviously, um, the response from the market participants uh, has been bad. Uh, Hansing Index has lost 6% um, on Monday, uh, and that was largely driven by foreign selling. Uh, we are aware that a large part of the selling um, is driven by foreign investors because they were disappointed uh, at the takeaways from the party congress, so they sold their shares. And we are well aware that there may be some capitulation dynamics going on in the market as well. Now, in the near term, we do think that stocks that have higher foreign ownership probably would face stronger selling pressure, and that would point to underperformance in internet stocks or basically Chinese ADRs. But as we get out of um, all these volatilities, uh, we think that the takeaways of the Pi Congress will still largely reaffirm three views of ours uh, on China. 
first, uh, we continue to analyze uh, playing specific themes and sectors rather than making overall bets uh, on the direction of the market. Uh, and we think that's more efficient in capturing investment returns and opportunities uh, in the Chinese market, especially as we think that the overall index uh, will likely stay in a flat and flat trading range uh, even as we get out of the current bear market. Second, uh, in terms of the themes that we like, we continue to favor the environment, uh, mass consumption, as well as smart, smart manufacturing, uh, because they are going to be the key policy beneficiaries, uh, as we saw uh, in the party congress. And then third, uh, we think that Asia's are going to outperform H, uh, particularly when you see this in the long term, because the former has a strong growth tilt, uh, but the latter uh, risks becoming a value trap. Uh, with that, um, that concludes my comments on the Pi Congress and the overall Chinese market, and we'll pass it back to you, Bernadette. Thank you. Thank you so much for the update and the insights, Richard. This concludes today's podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. We do hope you'll join us for the next installment. Good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.